How do you unlock your full potential of influence and create lasting change? I'm your co-host, Dave Donaldson. Along with your other co-host, Scott Young, welcome to the Influencers Podcast. Join us each week for inspirational stories and strategies from leaders, experts, and professionals around the globe. We want to see you get equipped and empowered to make an impact that resounds from your neighborhood to the nations. While you listen, if you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. Just hit the subscription button. Even more importantly, we'd like to invite you to be part of our team by helping us to share the message and continue to bring more and exciting guests onto the program. These guests help us to grow in our influence, your five-star rating and personal written review, which we look forward to reading, will help us to move forward. You can also follow us at the Influencers Podcast Official on all social media channels to stay up to date, to hear more inspiring content, and to unlock your full potential as an influencer. What an honor it is for Wendell Benson my co-host and co-founder of CityServe, to interview for the Influencers Podcast, our hero, not a hero, our hero, uh, and the inspiration between uh, not just Canyon Hills Church in Bakersfield, but millions of churches around uh, the globe, but also, Wendell, the ministry of CityServe that you and I started three years ago. It's, it's such an honor. I can't overstate the impact that Pastor Tommy has had on my life and on uh, our ministry, the ministry of the church. And as you said, Dave, City Serve. I started attending some of the very first pastor schools back when Tommy and the church were still in the high school before Cave Creek Road and in the development of that amazing campus. They were meeting in a high school and uh, those pastor schools were just absolutely life changing. You and your staff, and this is before I joined you, you would even sleep in the car. You would do anything possible to attend the pastor school. We, we, we had a small budget and uh, lots of heart. We had a number of guys that wanted to go, and so we would go over in the van, and uh, we had one-year room for, or enough budget for one room for the week. And so some of the guys slept in the church van, and then we would rotate them in so, to the room so they'd get a shower before the week was out. And uh, that's how much they loved going because it was it was so impactful. It just changed our changed the culture of our church. I I think too. One year we went over uh, and uh, at the pastor school event at the last evening they have a major outreach and Tommy would tell everyone go out into the streets and find someone to come to church with you. And we did. We went out and found a young man. His name was Angel. We found him on the streets of Phoenix. Took him to church. He got saved, and everybody was so excited. Uh, we didn't want to take him back to the street, so we took him all the way back to Bakersfield, and he just he lived with us there in Bakersfield for about six months, and and attended the church and worked for one of the men in the church, and I've thought back to that uh, so many times how impactful it was. It just changed everything. After those experiences, the church never looked back. We just never looked back because we were changed. Well, Pastor Wendell and Dave, that's why I'm so excited being with you today, because both of you, your whole life has been involved in compassionate ministries, and we both have the same kind of heart. And so I'm so excited to be with you guys today. You guys have made a difference truly in America, finding needs and finding hurts and finding empty stomachs and filling them. It's just a wonderful, wonderful venture we're on. It is. And for those that perhaps don't know you, which I know is a very small number, uh, I want to give just a little background before we ask uh, you some questions and drill down on your incredible book, What If? What a great title, What If? But Pastor Tommy Barnett is the global pastor of one of the largest Assembly of God churches in America and in the world, the Dream Center Church in Phoenix, Arizona. The church has become known as the Church with a Heart because of its more than 260 ministry outreaches each year. Thousands upon thousands give their lives 
to Jesus Christ. They're baptized. And if anybody has seen the parade of ministries there, uh, let me tell you, Jesus leads the standing ovation. It's unbelievable. Uh, not a dry eye in the place. Uh, Pastor Barnett is also the chancellor of Southeastern University, where my daughter attended, which named its ministry school the Barnett College of Ministry and Theology. In 1994, Pastor Barnett and his son Matthew also founded the Dream Center in Los Angeles, an inner city church and outreach center that touches the lives of, get this, over 50,000 people each month. I mean, talking about a model, and uh, we, Wendell and I have had the privilege of working not only with that Dream Centers, but Dream Centers across the country, even most recently with the Farmers to Families uh, food box program where we distributed uh, 17 million boxes through the local church. And by the way, uh, Tommy, I remember, and I know Wendell does too, you helped raise a budget uh, for converting the hospital into the Dream Center by walking uh, 400 miles, 400 mile trek, which what, 700,000 steps from Phoenix to LA. So What's up next? <laughs> well, well, you know, my I've kind of left it to my sons now. Uh, Matthew, as you know, did the 777, which was seven th marathons in seven days on seven continents. That's right. Literally, seven marathons, seven days on seven continents. And then, of course, Luke, uh, he went on the 800-mile journey from the, uh, the Colorado border all the way down to the Mexican border, 800-mile trip to raise money for the Dream Center. And both of them raised over $2 million each uh, for hurting ministries. Now, mine was, I thought, something special, $750,000. But they've wow. gone far beyond me now. Wow. And so But good. I'm leaving the walking to them. Amen. Well, you passed on the baton to your anointed sons. Uh, Pastor Barnett has authored several books, including Multiplication, Hidden Power, incredible book, and the newly released What If, and also continues to spearhead the Saturday Soul Winning Society, uh, which has been used around the world. I've seen that in Africa and India and uh, churches, leaders, uh, around the world are using that to win souls uh, for Christ. Uh, he's known for many, many, many quotes, but I would say the one that is used uh, still to this day, no telling how many pulpits, find a need and fill it, find a need and fill it, uh, Tommy Barnett. Uh, you live in Phoenix, Arizona with your lovely wife. You have three grown children and seven grandchildren. Is that right? That's exactly right. And two great grandchildren. Mm. Awesome. Uh, that's wonderful. Well, we got some questions for you. Uh, thanks again for being on the Influencers Podcast. Uh, obviously, you know, for those that have followed your ministry, uh, your life, uh, it's been a full life and you're just getting started. I mean, hmm. I told Amen. somebody the other day that you're in Heaven's Hall of Fame, but you're still scoring touchdowns, hitting home runs, and scoring goals. So <laughs> uh, that in itself is a great testimony uh, to us. Uh, but for our listeners that, that don't know you or don't know you well, you got started on this journey of compassion and outreach around the world uh, many years ago, and you founded the Dream Centers. Can you unpack that for us? It's true. It has been many years ago. I've been in the ministry for 67 years. I started when I was 16 years of age, and uh, I'm now 83 years of age. I've been married to the same old gal for 56 years. I'd rather fight than switch, you know. <laughs> I, I've traveled around the world many, many times preaching the gospel. I checked the other day, and uh, I have now about 6 million miles on American Airlines alone, just preaching and traveling around the world. But it all started as a 16-year-old boy 
when I started to launch my ministry. You see, my dad was a pastor of a very successful church in Kansas City. Matter of fact, it was one of the three largest churches in the Assemblies of God. He really touched my life because, you know, some things are taught. It's an old cliche, but it's true. And some things are caught. As a small boy, my dad would take me with him when he would visit hospitals. And I would see the dying, the hurting people. My dad loved children. And he started, and many people feel that he was the father of the bus ministry. So he would take me out on the bus, reaching out to kids. And soon he had 10 buses bringing people to the house of the Lord. He touched my life. So when I went to my first church in Davenport, Iowa, the first thing I did was I bought a bus. <laughs> and the church that I took over was a church that was very legalistic, really kind of a backward church, uh, a bunch of saints who just wanted to be blessed but did not want to be a blessing. And I said right then, I'm not going to spend my life preaching to a church full of Christians. I'm going to reach out to the lost. Amen. We begin to do that. And our church grew from 76 very negative people to a church of uh, 4,000 people in eight years. At that moment, God spoke to my heart and I got an invitation to go to Phoenix. It was a very small church here, 200 people. but And it was a very church that had been through a lot of trouble. They had had six pastors in 10 years. It was kind of known as a troubled church. But I wanted to be in a city that I could never reach everybody in my lifetime. I accepted the invitation. Many of you know the story there, how God blessed the church. And we went from 200 people to now we run probably the outreaches with our eight campus churches, around 25,000 people every single week reaching people. But we kept reaching hurting people. And then God spoke to my heart one day as I looked at our church becoming big, you know, auditorium, about five to 6,000 people, very affluent people. And God spoke to me and said, your church needs a new dream. And so I said, as I begin to pray, let's take the biggest challenge that we can be in. Where is, where is the greatest need in our nation? Well, I looked at LA and I thought, look, there's a city in trouble. There's a ch city that needs a great church. It has everything. It was pointed out to me by George Wood, who asked me to go. He was the superintendent of the Assemblies of God. He said it has everything in L.A. It's the entertaining capital of the world. It is a place where sin abounds greater. It has the sixth largest economy in the world bigger than even France. It has everything but a great church. And so we went and we began to reach out. We took a little church that was started in Azusa Street. That's mm. right. It was the first church that came out of the Azusa Street revival called Bethel Temple. And that's where we started. And God began to bless. We realized that we need a bigger place. We didn't go to L.A. to start a dream center. We didn't know what a dream center was. There was nothing quite like it. But we realized that before we could build a great church, we had to build great people. It was easy to get people saved, but it was hard to keep them. So we began to disciple them. And it got so big, we didn't know what to do. One day, somebody told us about a place called the Phoenix Hospital. It was the old Queen of Angels Hospital. And he said, why don't you see if you could buy it? It's for sale. Well, they wanted over $16 million for it. All we could offer them was $3 million. But you know what? They, they accepted it. Mm -hmm. They accepted our offer. And through a miraculous move of God, the Dream Center was born. But we did not go there to build a church. We went there to build a Dream Center. Today, there are 260 dream centers in America, and we don't know how many around the world. So that's the way we started. We found needs, and we filled them. We found hurts, and we healed them. So beautiful, Tommy. 
You've written a new book, Tommy, called What If, My Story of Believing God for More. What prompted you to write the book in this season? Well, on my 80th birthday three years ago, they had a big celebration in our church, and it was quite moving. They invited our friends and people, many of them that influenced our life. And one of them was the president of Southeastern University, which you mentioned that I'm now the chancellor of. He stood up at the presentation and said, we'd like to commission Pastor Barnett to write his memoirs, his life story. So that was the beginning of it, that we would write a book that was commissioned by them. It would be used in the Bible college, and it would be used to touch people we trust all over the world. So we called it, What If? This is not a negative book about, you know, what what if we'd done this or what if we'd done that? The book was about what if we would have taken the challenges that are before us. You know, I know many people that are listening to this podcast, for instance, have often said to themselves, well, I, I never saw a vision or I never had a dream or I never heard a voice about God saying this is where you ought to go. And by the way, I'm not against those things. But God never spoke to me me that way either. The way that God has always spoke to me with any adventure or venture that we stepped out into was he opened an opportunity, a possibility. And I looked down that road and I said, you know, that could be God. I'm not sure. But what if it is God? So I decided that I was going to go down that road because if I did not go down that road, I would never know if it was God or not. So I went down that road and God provided for it. And one of the ways that you can tell if it was God is there is always provision for that vision if it is God's vision for your life. And that opened up another door. And I looked down that road and said, that could be God, but I'll never be sure if I went down that road. So one day, I wasn't sure if it was God's will to buy a bus, but I sent him to buy that bus. And soon we had 47 buses in Davenport, Iowa, bringing in over 3,000 kids, and soon we became the fastest-growing church in America. But I asked the question, what if this is God? When I went to L.A. to start their Dream Center, I just said, what if this is God? I'm not sure. And then God began to move and send miracles that were beyond even comprehension. But it all came about by asking, what if? So good. So good. Uh, Tommy, you have some amazing stories about giving your all to, to God. And I love your, your mutual friend, uh, Doug Weed. Uh, he tells how as an evangelist, he would go around the country and, and everybody was talking about Tommy Barnett's church because it was the fastest growing. And, and Doug said, these pastors would say, well, if I had buses, our church would grow. If I put on a Christmas, you know, special program, my church would grow. If I had Johnny Cash come in and, and sing, my church would grow. And, and at first Doug said, yeah, yeah. But then it dawned on him one day, well, why, why aren't you getting any buses? <laughs> why aren't you reaching out to your community uh, through Christmas uh, programs? And there's nothing wrong with having Johnny Cash in. And uh, so you've always uh, dreamed big. And you share a lot of great stories uh, in the book. Uh, what are some of your favorite stories that you put in the book, What If? Well, you know, there's so many of them. At the time that it happened, it was the story. It was the event. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I've learned to celebrate every little victory along the way. And that keeps the dream very, very exciting. But let me share one with you that you mentioned. And that was Johnny Cash coming to Davenport, Iowa. You know, one day I was invited because of the growth of our church in Davenport to go to Nashville, Tennessee to preach for a pastor named 
Jimmy Snow. His dad was Hank Snow, the legendary country singer. So I went and held him a revival. And one night, guess who walked in? June Carter and Johnny Cash. Well, I was going to preach a different message, but I changed it. I preached on what should a prophet a man if he should gain the world and lose his soul. When it was over, Johnny Cash and June came to me and said, Reverend, I really enjoyed that message. He said, I'm going to think over what you said. I need to think about my future and my life. I had to leave. He said, I'll be back. And he came back Sunday. And as I understand the story, when the invitation was given by Jimmy Snow, Johnny Cash and June came forward, surrendered their lives to Christ. Well, I was excited to hear the news. And a few months later, Johnny Cash came to Davenport, Iowa, in the Masonic Temple to have a great concert. Well, I went, sat on the front row. When it was over, I went back to the dressing room. There was a curtain that divided him from the people. And I said to the guard, would you tell Mr. Cash, there's a Tommy Barnett out here that wants to speak to him. And I heard a voice behind the curtain say, send the Reverend in. Well, I went in and I said, Johnny Cash, I have a vision. Jerry Falwell was a dear friend of mine, and he had just had the world's biggest Sunday school out in a, a stadium, and it was outstanding. I said, you know, I told him what I'd read, and I said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to beat my friend Jerry Falwell. I've always wanted to beat the Baptists anyway. You know, they build these great churches, and they do great things for God. I'd like to beat him. You know, we can rent this stadium over here, and it holds, we can get over 30,000 people in it. Johnny Cash, if you would come and sing, and I would preach, and we'd call it the world's greatest Sunday school, I believe that we can have the greatest school attendance ever. What if we'd do that, Johnny? Could you, would you pray about it? And he said, I'll do it. I mean, I almost said, are you sure? I'm Usually guys say, well, I'll pray about it. I'll think about it. He said, I'll come. Well, he came. At that time, his fee was almost $200,000, which would probably be $500,000 today. He brought the June Carter. He brought the Carter Singers. He brought uh, Carl Perkins, who did Blue Suede Shoes fame. He brought his entire band. He brought two semi-trucks filled with sound equipment, everything we needed to put this on. Well, that day, over 30,000 people packed that arena. Matter of fact, that was the largest event in the history at that time of Davenport in the Quad Cities. Before we had the concert, Johnny Cash said to me, Pastor, would you mind if I would sing one song that was secular? He said, a lot of these people, I want them to be, their hearts to be open, and I don't want them to think we just got them here to strictly a religious concert. And I said, sure. Now, I kind of swallowed because back then, <laughs> that would be very, very, very innovative. And I could see some of the classical Pentecostals and evangelicals would think it was bad. I didn't ask him what song. But he had opened up by singing that song, Sunday morning, coming down. And one of the lines in that song was, and the beer I had for breakfast was so good, I had one more. <laughs> and I thought, they're going to run me out of town on a rail. I have violated all church history. Well, it went over big. And then he sang religious songs. And I got up and preached for 15 minutes in a scorching hot day to 30,000 people. My message was entitled, How to Be Free. And when I gave the altar call, Johnny Cash sang, come home, come home, it's supper time. Mm -hmm. And over 6,000 people crowded to the front of that baseball stadium at the second base area and repeated the sinner's prayer and gave their heart to Jesus Christ. It was the greatest event in the history. It was like a Billy Graham crusade. So that has to be one of the greatest one. And I'll just mention a brief one quickly. It was in L.A. when a little mother and her daughter showed up 
at 10.30 at night and wanted to be admitted to the Dream Center. They'd taken their last money in Denver, Colorado, got up on a bus, came, and wanted to be a part of the Dream Center. Well, we have a rule that you can't take anybody in after six o'clock, after 10 o'clock. But the little mother said, where are we going to stay? We have no money. Well, the lady said, I'll get you a place. We'll pay for you a motel tonight, and tomorrow we'll admit you. So while she was calling, the mother said, my little daughter needs to use the restroom. Could she come in the Dream Center? She said, yes. Now, the Dream Center is built on a hill. You can come in at the bottom floor, or you can come in at the sixth floor on the side of the hill. Well, they didn't know they were on the sixth floor. The little girl went to the restroom, and she played a trick on her mother. They played hide and seek, and she thought, I'm just going to hide from my mother. And she jumped out of the restroom window, which was on the sixth floor, and she fell six floors to the pavement. Now, you don't live falling six floors. There was a scream that went out. We called the ambulance. They rushed her to the hospital. They did every test they could. All they could find was a little cracked lip. That little girl was not even injured from a six-story fall. People ask me what the greatest miracle I ever witnessed. It was that one. Of course, it had been a tragedy. She would have been killed. Our hearts had been broken. It would also have been the end of the Dream Center. But you know what? When God shows up, and by the way, that's what I preached last Sunday morning, great things begin to take place. The Johnny Cashes come and change her city. Miracles take place. You don't have to advertise. People will show up just to see what is going on. So those are two of the stories in the book with many, many more about the miracle working power of God. When we say, what if we invite Johnny Cash? What if we'd go to LA? God shows up. Tommy, you're known for saying it's the message that's sacred, not the method. How has this played into how you personally dream with God? Well, I think it really goes back to that story I told you when I first went to Davenport, Iowa, and I made up my mind that I was going to do everything I could to get the unsaved to church, because how can they be saved unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's when I bought that bus and ended up at 47, and that's when I began to reach out. I did all kinds of unusual things because I decided that the method was not sacred. The message was what was sacred. And I was going to do everything in good taste to get people to the house of God that they might be saved. So reaching out to the children as I did, a lot of them were very, very poor little kids. And I, I wanted to bless them. So, you know, I built the world's biggest banana split, which was a, a rain gutter that was hundreds of feet long. And the people brought the ice cream and the bananas and all the fixings that you put on top. And we built the world's biggest banana split. And then I built the world's biggest popsicle, which was 6,000 pound popsicle that we made in the ice house. And I had two four befores for the popsicle sticks. By the way, both of these for years, and they may still be, were in Guinness Bull of Records. But because we began to reach out to those children, one day I decided I was going to have Hamburger Sunday and we was going to invite all the kids to come and get a hamburger. Well, you should have heard the critics in town. They said, Barnett's bribing the kids, giving them a hamburger. Oh, I said, they're not bribes. They're incentives and rewards. And I point out that one day Jesus passed out 5,000 fish sandwiches. And the only reason they came were because of the loaves and the fishes, but he fed them anyway. I remember one day I walked into a restaurant and there was a pastor there, somewhat envious and critical of what we had been doing. I walked into a restaurant that was full and he screamed about above everybody and they all heard it. Hello, here comes the hamburger king and someone said well what did you say i said yes what could i do could i buy you all a hamburger well i was made fun of and ridiculed and everything but 
we just kept on reaching out. And by the way, many people don't know this, but uh, in that part of the world is where Burger King started. And they don't know that literally they named that hamburger because of what they were saying to me. Now, I made that up. That's not true. I just want to be sure your listeners were listening to me right now. <laughs> but we decided that the method was not sacred. The message was sacred. And then my mind went back when I was a young teenager. I went to the Starlight Theater in Kansas City, which was outside in a big pavilion under the stars. And they would have things like South Pacific. They would have things like Oklahoma. I love those things. And I said, wouldn't it be great if a church could do that? A church could reach out and have the greatest musical in the world. And that's what we did. We started Celebration of Christmas, a pageant that has over 600 people in the cast of putting on this extravaganza. It was a musical that really... I may be prejudiced, but many have said it, is greater than the musical put on on Broadway. Thousands come. 80,000 people attended last year. And we have an altar call at the end of it. We had many flying angels over the audience. We have live animals. We had, we've had camels and uh, tigers and elephants and anything that you can imagine in the pageant. At the end of it, we give an altar call. And we have an average of about 3,000 people a night that raise their hands for salvation and repeat the sinner's prayer. So find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and fill it. The method is not sacred, but the message is what can never be changed. And everything that we've done to reach the lost, sometime innovative, sometime extreme, sometime different, was given for one reason, to give an altar call. And I'm against pageants without altar calls. I'm against many things just to get the unsaved out. We have the sophisticate of our city that come to this pageant. We have the who's who that come. We've had presidents to come and senators and mayors, but we always give an altar call. The message is sacred, and that's what we got, got to remain to. And that's inspired outreach uh, around the world. And I know for my brothers and I, who, as you know, started Convoy of Hope, uh, the outreach component of that was inspired by you. And I recall being at, at an IHOP uh, with a napkin, and we had just done a food distribution uh, with Operation Blessing. And it was all well-meaning, but it was somewhat dehumanizing. You know, people were like flocking to buying groceries in the middle of the field. And so we started developing all of these different parts of a citywide outreach from uh, a big kid zone to a medical tent, job fair. And and uh, God, you know, has used that to reach millions. But that was inspired by you. Well, let me say and, a word about that. You know, Dave, you and Pastor Wendell the great minister you started that reaches out to hurting, the compromise, the people that need help has touched the world and touched myself and Convoy of Hope that you mentioned there. They've supplied, they have supplied truck after truck after truck along with the great ministry you're part of now literally has fed the multitudes and the hurting people. And I just want to thank you because you know what? We are workers together with the Lord. It takes everybody. I'm a church builder, but the church can never be built without people that are supplying the fuel that helps us reach the people. Because, you know, hungry people, when they are fed, they're open to the gospel. Jesus knew that, and Jesus did that. Tell me, we have a lot of leaders uh, that are listening to this podcast. Uh, they're influencers you know, pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors. And it, it seems to be really popular right now to roast pastors. You know, obviously there are many pastors that decided during COVID to take a long sabbatical and to do kind of a weekend production 
uh, through their computer. Uh, and now churches are reconvening for the most part. Uh, but a lot of pastors are discouraged. Uh, they're, they're set back and they're wondering if they're even going to have a church when they return. And there's a lot of fear. Uh, what would you say uh, to these pastors right now? I would say to them that this is the greatest time of ministry in the history of the world. I believe now God wants to send a move of God, a revival, a great awakening. We just call it when God shows up at our church. And we believe that revival is not coming. We believe at our church right here that a revival is here right now. Right now is the beginning of a revival. And I'd like to say to you that right now when churches are not opening and now they are open, a lot of our, we opened early. And a lot of our people, our church grew because a lot of churches were closed. And people felt bad because they had no place to go to church. And now that the church is opening, we're having the greatest growth in the history of our church because we realize now that our country is in bad shape. If our country's ever needed God, we need it now. Values that we have held on for years have been destroyed. We're taking a stand for Christian values. Our schools are destroying our kids. Our universities, when a kid enters university and they come out now, it'll be a miracle if that kid is still serving God. They have to have some kind of Christian influence within our lives. So we decide as a church that we're going to train them. We develop programs in our church to literally train them in Christian values. Things about what's wrong with abortion. Things like the value of, of marriage and who should it be done by. We're taking stands about why Israel is so very, very important. Why we must stand with Israel and pray with Israel. Our kids are shocked to hear about this. They've been taught opposite in the school. So I'm saying today, be encouraged. But if you will take a stand, there are people that are wanting to help you, that will come to you when their churches are backing off. Don't back off. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about Christian values that need to be taught by the church that are taught in the Word of God. That's such a good word, such an important word. Tommy, what would you, Tommy, tell a pastor who has a dream, they feel like that dream's God is God-inspired, but it just seems too big, personally, financially, culturally, it just seems too big, and maybe they're fearful to take that step. What would you say to them? Well, first of all, I would say to them, the biggest fear is before the battle. When I see a battle that is ahead of me, I get afraid. I think about it. I'm fearful. But once I get in the battle, <laughs> I kind of enjoy it. I like a good fight against the enemy. I know we're going to win because we have the winner on our side. But the battle is always before the battle. Before going to L.A., oh, I fought that battle. I mean, there was fear in my heart. What if I fail? What if people say Barnett was a fool for trying to buy and this great hospital, it all had to repair, be repaired. It would take $15 million to repair it. How would it ever raise that kind of money? How would that ever take place? So starting is the fearful part of it. But I think better yet, it can be told in a story. There are three great events that took place in my life, three of them. I've kind of mentioned them before, but I want to put a bow on it right now. First of all, the greatest event that I experienced that time was the coming of Johnny Cash. Can you imagine how I felt when I saw those 6,000 people come to accept Jesus Christ? Well, when it was over, I walked out in the parking lot. And I tell you, I was shouting. I was jumping. I never thought God would use a little guy that didn't have a lot of background didn't have a lot of degrees, to see a Billy Graham crusade in his own city. It was a mini Billy Graham crusade. But there was a little guy that met me on the parking lot. He always shows up 
when something big happens and if tears are streaming down his cheeks. He said, Pastor, I never expected in my lifetime to see what I saw today. I never expected that God would use our church like he used us. Pastor, this is wonderful. I'm so proud of our church. Pastor, I'm so proud of you. And then he paused and pointed his finger at me and said, but Pastor, you can do more. Fast forward. I'm now in Phoenix, Arizona. We had a dream to build this auditorium. At that time, our church was the largest auditorium, second largest auditorium in America. Since that time, there are many others that have been built like it and exceeded. But at that time, when the building was built, all oh, the sacrifices our people went through in giving and prayer, everything that we possibly could do, we thought was never going to get in. We had to get a loan at the end. Guess what the interest rate was? 21%. I don't want to hear you calling about interest rates going up. 21%. And we were good to get it. And we got it. Finally, the building was finished. It was the day that we opened up. I had a message plan. I was going to preach on the subject of the temple, how beautiful it was, the gold cherubims, everything that was represented in the temple. But all week long, I wondered, would anybody show up? <laughs> what if nobody showed up? We had, at that time, before we redecorated, 6,000 seats. And all week I thought, will anybody show up? I was scared to death. So before I went in, I peeked in, and what I saw scared me to death. Every seat was filled. That church has two balconies. It looks like an opera house. They were all filled. People were standing around the wall. People were sitting in the aisles, on the steps in the balcony. And it scared me half to death. I thought, God, I'm not a great preacher. I'm just a country preacher that's never been to the country. And I walked down on that platform. And I opened my text to preach. And God changed my message. And I said, God needs to be glorified this day. If I take the credit of what is taking place, I pray that God will cut me down and put a man behind the pulpit that will give credit to God. If this building takes credit for what God has done, may it be destroyed and burnt down tonight. And the Lord gave me a scripture that said, He is lovely. And he alone is altogether lovely. That day I said, let God be glorified. In all of our ways, let us exalt him. And he'll take care of the rest. The power of God fell. The altar calls were filled. You could almost feel like there was a mist, a fog that came down in the auditorium that day. And when it was over, I walked out on the parking lot and I said to myself, this has to be the greatest day of my life. Guess who showed up? That little guy. And he said, Pastor, that's the greatest service I've ever experienced in my life. I never dreamed my lifetime. I feel the glory of God. I never thought I'd see a building this big filled for the glory of God. And the altar calls with people weeping out to God. Pastor, I'm so proud of our church. And I'm so proud of you. But then he pointed his finger at me and said, but you can do more. <laughs> Fast forward one more time, the Dream Center, L.A. We bought the thing, but it would take $50 million to finish it off. 1,300 rooms, think of it. 15 stories high. It took thousands of dollars just to keep it running to take care of the needs of the people. I never expected to see it paid for and finished in my lifetime. But five years ago, I took the elevator up to the top floor, got off. And there on the top floor, we had chairs set up and we had a beautiful service. And we burnt the mortgage of the Dream Center. $50 million we had, it cost to build it. It was completely finished, every room, debt-free. 
I went down the elevator. I walked in the parking lot and I said to myself, this is the greatest thing that I've ever seen. The greatest miracle I've ever experienced. I wasn't walking. I was skipping across the parking lot. But guess who showed up? That little guy. And he looked at me and he pointed his finger in my face and said, Pastor, I never dreamed that we would see this day that it was finished, but much less paid for. But he looked at me and said, but you can do more. And I want to be that little voice that when God blesses you, Pastor, and when he gives you a great victory in your church, I want to be that little voice that you hear, that little hoarse voice in your mind that says, God's sure proud of you. I'm proud of you. But you can do more. Because, friends, you can be sure the dream is God's dream if it's bigger than you. So don't be afraid of the big dream. You'll say, were you afraid to go? Yeah. But when I got there, all the fear left. I was in the middle of the battle. It was so exciting to see the miracles that came that way. If your dream is bigger than you, it's probably God's dream. But number two, if you can't let that dream go, because discouragement will come. Delay will come. Did you know how long I had the dream for the Dream Center before the Dream Center became past? I drove by Angela's Temple one day holding revival in L.A., and God spoke to me and said, someday you're going to be the pastor of Angela's Temple. I said, God, that could never happen because they're four square and I'm assemblies of God. And we have no dealings one with another. Isn't that pitiful? But you know what? God brought those two great denominations together. But I could not let the dream go for 40 years. And last of all, you can be sure that the dream is God's dream if you're willing to give your life to that dream to literally die for that dream. I'm so convinced that the dream that God has given me that I would gladly lay down my life to see it come to pass. And there are pastors that are listening to this program today. God's given you a dream. And though the dream tarries, it'll come to pass if you faint not. Don't let it go. At first you have to hold tenaciously to the dream because dreams want to get away when the critics come, when the delay comes, when the lack of financials come. But give your life and don't let it go and be willing to die for that dream. Tommy, uh, another great man of faith, uh, once said, attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, you will fail. And you have modeled that for us and leaders around the world. You know, you also uh, once said, I like concluding my sermons. That's why I give multiple conclusions. <laughs> and we hate concluding this time with you because uh, this has been like a transfusion of hope and faith. Uh, but uh, we need to end and, and we want to ask, how can we get copies of your book, What If, for our families, business, and ministry teams? Yes, I'd like to answer that, but I do have a conclusion. <laughs> People ask me all the time, Pastor, if you could live your life over again, is there anything that you would do different? I had to think about that because I'm always looking to the future, but I looked and I thought, yes, if I could live my life over again, I would dream bigger dreams and I would take bigger risk because every dream that I dreamed, every risk that I took, God did exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or I could think. Yes, this book is available. You can get it by TommyGarnett.com or Amazon will carry this book. Any place where good books are sold, well, this is available. Tommy, can you conclude our time praying over our listeners? Yes, I'd be honored to. And Dave, Pastor Wendell, I sure love you guys. You are world changers. Thank God for what you're doing for these pastors. And I really trust that our little talk today has been a blessing 
and we'll encourage them to do great things for God. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for being the great God that you are. You are the God, the only God. And Father, you told us in Proverbs 3, 6, my life scripture, that if in all of our ways we'll acknowledge you, then you will direct our path. And Father, our job is the first six words of that scripture is in all our ways to acknowledge you. And that's what we've done today. If people have gotten anything different, it's to acknowledge the blessings of God upon the life of this church, the life of this failing man that they've heard today. My job is to acknowledge him. And the last six verse goes like this, and he will direct thy path. That's your part, God. So God, if we'll spend our life bragging on God, acknowledging that anything is done is him, God, you're going to direct our path. We don't have to worry about being in the will of God. We don't have to worry or not whether this is the path or not. If we'll acknowledge you, you're going to direct our path. And I pray God a special anointing on every man or woman that listens to this program today. The dreams that they don't tell anybody about because they're afraid that those people would laugh at them. God, you won't laugh at them. You will be pleased to hear their big dream. I pray that they will come to pass. And may your Holy Spirit anoint this broadcast and anoint the ears that hear it. I pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. 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 Tommy, thank you for joining Wendell and me on the Influencers Podcast. And uh, please go to TommyBarnett.com to purchase this book for your family, friends, business, co-workers, ministry partners. And you can also go to Amazon as well to buy What If. Thank you, Tommy. God bless. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. It's been a great joy. We love you and thank God for you. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please be sure to hit the subscription button. You can help us to reach more people and bring more great guests onto the program by giving us a five-star rating and writing a personal review about how this podcast has personally impacted you. We love to read your comments. We'd love you to follow us at The Influencers Podcast Official. That's on all social media channels. To stay up to date, to hear more inspirational content, and to unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember, folks, use your influence to move people closer to Jesus and his mission.